Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 27 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-host, Peter Barracchini. And Peter, another busy week in the NHL, another handful of games postponed due to COVID-19, and it just seems like the absolute norm these days. But first off, <laughs> how are you this week? Yeah, it's uh, it's either hockey news or COVID news, so it's either one of those two things right now. But I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Um... I don't know if anybody knows, but, like, if you follow me on Twitter or whatever, I'm, like, a big, like, rock, hard rock, heavy metal, like, music kind of fan. And for years, I've listened to, like, bands cover, like, pop songs with the label Punkos Pop. And there's a recent song right now by the guitarist, I believe, from Korn, made, made his own band, and they did a cover of Let Me Love You by DJ Snake and Justin Bieber. I, I really do like that song. I'm not going to lie. But, man, they actually killed it with that cover. And I am I'm I know my music is not for everybody. But, man, if you're into that music, check it out. Because I really do enjoy that. And even, like, the bands, like, doing all the pop covers and everything like that. I don't know why. I just love it. It's half of the covers are, like, better than the original. But that's just me. Um, discovering new music, new bands this week. How about you, man? Hey, I personally love all kinds of music, so I, I'm definitely going to check that out. Uh, I always love <laughs> recommendations. like to add to that library on Spotify. Yeah. Speaking of Spotify, if you're on there, download our episodes. Give us a little bit of uh, a listen as well. But um, no, everything's yeah, going well. I, I got my coffee in hand. I have my Wayne Gretzky's uh, cream liqueur in my coffee this morning. Mm. Uh, just uh, enjoying a couple days off here in, in, in London, yeah. the beautiful London, Ontario. Um, but uh, yeah, just... Uh, like I said off the top of the show, a lot of a lot of good news and a lot of uh, frustrating news uh, when it comes to the hockey world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you and I talk about prospects all the time. Uh, we talk about uh, the NHL draft. You you've got your rankings out this uh, this year. I've I've got yes. my rankings coming out. Hopefully today mm-hmm. we're recording Sunday. Uh, hopefully it's coming out today. Uh, my top sixty four for the twenty twenty one draft. Um, but, uh, we, we got to talk about the, the draft lottery format possibly changing and, yeah. uh, what it could look like down the road. We mentioned that the 2021 NHL draft could be taking place in 2022. Neither of us are exactly fans of that. Um, that being said, uh, what, what, what are we looking at for, for a possible change in the draft lottery? It, it was reported by, you know, the athletic and TSN's Pierre Lebrun, that Daly, Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly said that, you know, the league is working on changing the draft lottery system because, let's face it, I'm pretty sure that everyone out there, hockey fan, prospect, writer, scout, they probably think that the lottery system is a joke right now. And there was a really good quote by Lebrun where it was on like a recent edition of Insider Trading where he said that there are a lot of people around the league that simply felt that a team like uh, Detroit, the Detroit Red Wings, undergoing a rebuild 23 points behind the 30th place team last year should not have been picking fourth. And let's face it, the Red Wings were, you know, they were at the bottom of the barrel. They were bad. Like, they, like they were destined to get the number one pick and possibly draft Alexi Lafreniere. They didn't. 
And that's where this whole lottery system comes into effect. And the weighted system just isn't quite working out because I'm even looking at an article on the score right now by Brandon uh, Marin. Um, only two teams that have finished last place have chosen first overall since the lottery system took effect. And do you know those two teams? I don't. Toronto Maple Leafs and the Buffalo Sabres in 2018. Austin Matthews and Rasmus Dallin. What does that tell you that only two teams that actually finished in last place won the draft lottery? It's flawed and it needs to be changed. I don't know exactly how that's going to look, but maybe just go to the original system. Whoever finishes dead last gets the first pick. Don't even worry about the lottery system. Wherever you finished, because I remember go, like uh, the Sidney Crosby draft. Granted, nobody played that year. Everyone had a chance to um, draft Sidney Crosby. But there was nothing wrong with, you know, I know they wanted to try and prevent tanking. But let's face it, if a team did try to win and they did finish last, maybe they still deserve the pick no matter what. And that's why they tried to, like, fix it. It worked out some at some points, but it really didn't. Yeah, I think I, I, I'm all for changes. I'm all for, for making that change and trying to Absolutely, find yeah. a way to get, you know, those last place teams to, uh, you know, have a have a better opportunity at the first overall pick. I mm-hmm. think we you can do that in, and still find a way to avoid tanking. Um, yeah. Me, personally, I'm not one for tanking. Like, look at, I mean, just ask Thomas Grice right now. How is his record in Detroit? Like, yeah. There's a team that is just so bad that I get that they want an opportunity at the first overall pick, and they they should get an opportunity at the first overall pick. Mm-hmm. The Ottawa Senators come to mind as a, as another club, but um, I think what I think there's still a way to do it where you avoid tanking and maybe offer up the the opportunity at the first overall pick for the the worst team to be a little bit greater in a lottery style. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you take a few teams out. Uh, where, you know, you don't have, like, every team that didn't make the playoffs is now a lottery team. Um, I, I I think there's a way to do it and still still kind of maintain the integrity of the game where there's not that kind of, you know, you're, you're actively going for the first overall pick. Um, you know, I, personally, I don't think the Toronto Maple Leafs were trying to tank when they got Austin Matthews. I think they were just legitimately no. a bad team. And oh, yeah, they got they got lucky and they got Austin Matthews and you know we we kind of smile about it now knowing how good he actually is. But you know, should the New York Rangers have gotten Lafreniere? Absolutely not. Absolutely yeah. not. But there's a way to do it where yes, maybe you need to change the system slightly, but I think you still need to maintain a, a, a some kind of a lottery to avoid you know losing that integrity when it comes to the overall play of the game. The league has given the bottom teams higher odds, right? So instead of like having, you know, maybe the 11th to 16th or 17th place team get a 1% or 2% odd, give that percentage more to the teams that may have a chance or a better chance at getting the first overall pick than those outside the top 10. Even if you want to leave it as the top 12, at least, you know, split it down the middle, six inside, six outside, maybe lower the odds, but distribute the odds that you're not giving to maybe 13 or even 11 to 17 
and split it up and give more of those odds to maybe the first and second third place team. I know I that may that... sound kind of basic, but that's where I kind of was going. Just increase the odds just a tad bit where, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I was saying. Like, I think if you get to, even if you go down to like the top seven teams or your teams in the, in the lottery, mm-hmm. like then you're, I mean, you're increasing the odds in a big way and, and, you know, 80% of that percentage that you take away from the eighth to the 16th team can go to the, the first overall or, or the worst team from the prior year. Mm-hmm. Like for me as a, as a fan, I don't want to pay a ticket price, <clears throat> especially at, at the rate that they are now to go to a game, to see a team that's actively trying to lose. Yeah. that That's that, the way I look at it. Mm-hmm. Am I going to pay 150 bucks to go see the Detroit Red Wings right now? Not a chance. Yeah. Um, you know, if I want to go see the Leafs win, then sure, yeah, I'll go to the <laughs> game in Detroit, right? But Cross the border. Yeah. When you, you can, know, when you yeah, can. exactly, exactly. But you know what I mean? Like, I just think there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of intricacies that they have to figure out before they go out there and say, hey, yeah, we're going to we're going to completely haul rehaul the uh, the way that the draft's done and and just give it right back to the first, the the worst team in the league. Gavin I don't know, I, on, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to throw in that uh, Gavin Chiazon from uh, Rex Scouting, who's the owner of that uh, of that scouting service. I follow him. He has a lot of great content. Check him out if you can. He has a draft lottery system that really kind of intrigued me. Split it up into four teams at each at each like um, at each like ranking. So one to four, he wrote 32 teams enter. Bottom four teams have 25 percent chance to pick first overall. Next four teams have a 25 chance, 25 percent chance to pick fifth overall. Next four teams, 25 to pick ninth and so on and so forth. That is really interesting. I mean, you separate it into groups and whoever comes out on top gets that pick. It still prevents, you know, um, tanking, but it gives teams in each of those categories an equal opportunity to try and get, you know, the pick that they want, or at least move up. They don't move up a significant amount, and they don't move down a significant amount. Yeah, no, I, I like, I've, I think I wrote a piece on this probably like four or five years ago, and and how the uh, for the hockey writers and how the draft should be should be changed so that there is to avoid tanking. Yeah. Um, and I think it might have been the year that uh, there's a lot of talk and speculation about um, Eichel and 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 where he was gonna go. But uh, I honestly, I think they're like even having like a mini tournament after the year where the team that you know wants the first overall pick has to has to try and win the tournament. Like there's there's got to be a way that you obviously that's not realistic, but there's got to be a way to figure out how to make the team still try in an, in an effort not to throw the season. Yeah, kind of like a relegation round. Yeah, at the end of the day, that's that's what you want. You want good product on the ice. If you have a team that's actively trying to lose, you're not going to have good product on the ice. Absolutely. Simple as that. No question. No question about it. Um, you kind of mentioned it. Uh, you mentioned Pittsburgh and, and, the, and the Crosby lottery. Uh, mm-hmm. Big news out of the... Pittsburgh, um, the Pittsburgh uh, Penguins this this week. Uh, Ron Hextall hired as the general manager with Brian Burke as the head of player development. Um, wow, big news of the week. 
Wow. We talked about this last yeah. week and, and Ron Hextall going to Pittsburgh and what, what that would look like. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think Lemieux feels knowing that uh, Hextall was the one that knocked out his teeth? Whew. He, I, I mean, it's great for both of them getting the job, but it's weird on two fronts. One is obviously, you know, we've seen Brian Burke on TV as an analyst now. We're not going to see him anymore. And by the way, he tweeted out last night a picture where it's like last night at Sportsnet arrived to a message where it had his name and then Sportsnet, I guess, like his area where he's like setting up and everything like that. And someone wrote traitor on it. And he jumped to the conclusion, looked like free, uh, looked like uh, Elliot Friedman's uh, crude handwriting to me. So that was kind of funny to see and a little fun in that regard, considering it was his last night. And, you know, they're trying to poke a little fun at that. But, I mean, Burke finally has Crosby on his team. I mean, he's complained about that in the past. We've heard about that. They won a damn lottery. So we're all used to that. But, yeah, it's going to be even more weird seeing Ron Hextall. Being the like one of their best goaltenders, being a part of the management team, jump ship from Philly to Pittsburgh, knowing the rivalry, that just not necessarily adds more fuel to the fire, but it just makes things more interesting in that regard. You know what I'm saying? It's it's again, 2020 and 2021 expect the unexpected or expect weird things to happen, and that and it doesn't get more weird than that. Yeah, I think it's great because NBC uh, obviously came out with an article yesterday about how Brian Perk is already talking about bringing ugly hockey to Pittsburgh and mm-hmm. how, uh, you know, the Pittsburgh need or the Penguins need to play more of that kind of style of game truculence. and truculence. And, you know, it just takes me back to the days where he was in, in, you know, in charge of what was going on here in Toronto. And, yep. um, man, he's already talking about bringing in more physicality and you know what? I get it. I think that's the way it needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see the Leafs were more successful with guys like Wayne Simmons in the lineup. Um, you know, teams teams start to fear what you're able to do on on, on the physical side of the game. And um, I do think that there's a happy medium, but it's going to be interesting because now you got Hextall at the helm. You know, he's known for his his outbursts when he during his playing days and and what he's <laughs> going to bring to the game and and now you've got Brian Burke involved as well, who's all about that truculence, all about, you know, that was his word of the year when he was with the with the Maple Leafs. So, um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a fun to watch to see how this team grows. You're going to see some changes, I'm sure, with the with the Penguins, uh, you know, core. Um, could you see a guy like Latang maybe maybe leave Pittsburgh? I don't think it's completely out of the question at this point. Yeah, we all like even Ron Hexaw is like, you know, his team is a skilled team, but they work hard. They're aggressive. They're in your face. So, you know what? Having both Hexall and Burke on the same page, that's kind of like the direction that maybe, you know, obviously Pittsburgh may want to go down. As for, we've known Burke has a reluctancy to like hit the panic button and do a full rebuild. And Justin Cuthbert recently came out with an article on the um, signing where maybe him trying to rebuild the roster or retool or like go into a full on rebuild without Crosby or Malkin isn't out of the question. They want to try and retool around them and not make any drastic moves where, you know, you have two superstar, you know, centermen, right? That is really interesting considering that, you know, he, he didn't hit the panic button in Toronto. He cut corners to try and make a rebuild. He got Phil Kessel. He got Dion Phaneuf. 
maybe worked out for a year or two, didn't quite work out after that. And we had this uh, discussion about a few episodes ago, episodes ago, um, where would was Rutherford, you know, did he leave because he had something big lined up or he probably moved Latang? Are Crosby and Malkin going to stay after that? There's no guarantee about that. And it's going to be difficult because of the situation they're in. I mean, they could still play, but they need to address the depth, and that's going to be really difficult right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, like I said, I think it'll be interesting to see how this team changes. Um, you know, you've had the core together for quite some time, and yeah. um, it's still it's still a very successful, uh, you know, a very very successful team in terms of what they're capable of. But mm-hmm. at a certain point. Um, you know, things need to change and the, the team's not getting any younger. And maybe that's what uh, Hextall and Berkey look to do uh, when they when they hit the when they hit Pittsburgh and, and get things going. So it'll be interesting to see. But, um, yeah, I just thought it was interesting uh, seeing Hextall in with the Penguins after such a yeah. solid career with the Flyers. I mean, we talked about it. it'd be like Bergevin coming in and running the Leafs. Oh, I just man. don't uh, I just don't see that being being the case. But, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, and also flashback to that line brawl with the Leafs and Flyers and Hextall and Podvan just yeah. went after it. I mean, oh, yeah. like, that, 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 I remember that game so well. And I was probably, I don't remember a lot as a kid, but I remember that game. And that was really fun. One of the greatest that. moments as, as a Maple Leafs fan in my, my time was top 10. Top 10, easily. Top and, 10 and the way that, that Felix the Cat just threw down. Man, if if I could get my hands on a signed Felix Poffin jersey, that would that would make my day. I would, that would make I would, my day. I would not wear that. That is, I'm going to a framing company. I'm getting that framed. I ain't touching that. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, going off of the management side of things, uh, this week Barry Trotz hit his 850th win. Um, that puts Trotz third all time on on the wins list, um, ahead of Ken Hitchcock. Uh, only behind Scotty Bowman and Joel Quenville. Uh, next one up is Joel Quenville. He is 70, sorry, 82 games, 82 wins back of Joel Quenville for second all time. That being said, obviously Quenville is still an active coach and that will change. But uh, yeah, big for Barry Trotz, a guy who spent so much time, you know, behind the bench in Nashville and, and uh, finally got an opportunity to win a cup with the, uh, with the Washington Capitals. Now, now he's, He's running that defensive-minded game in uh, in Long Island with the Islanders. So, uh, big move for him, and, and uh, congratulations to Barry Trotz. Yeah, I kind of feel old right now. 15 years he's been in the league, and he's already he's top three and you know wins him as a coach. That's really impressive. I mean, looking at his chart on Hockey Reference, he has a points percentage of .568. Really damn good, considering, uh, you know, um, early on in his career, the about the first four or five seasons with the Nashville Predators, you know, new franchise, a little bit rough coming out of the gates, under 500 each year until 2003, 2004, where they went 38, 29, and 11. And four, because they had the tie uh, before that tie was gone. But after that, Seven straight seasons of 40-plus wins until, you know, the lockout in 2012 and 13. But then he just went right back at it. 38, 45, 56, 55, 49, 48. I mean, 12 wins 
with or 12 seasons with 40 or more wins and 350 win seasons as a head coach. I mean, that's that's really impressive. There's no other way around it. Yeah, no, it's just incredible. Um, like you said, it kind of makes you feel a little bit old knowing he's been in the league for 15 years. That's probably, you know, I was 15 when he, well, I was 17 when he started coaching the uh, <laughs> the, the Nashville Predators. But um, for him to have that kind of record already through 15 years, I mean, it's just a testament to what he's able to do as a coach and mm-hmm. how, you know, he's able to get players to buy in. And I think that's the biggest thing is if you can get players to buy into your system, I mean, you're going to be right there with him. Um, if you look at the list, the next active coach is Paul Maurice. And, you know, we talk about another another former Leaf um, at 740 wins already through 1,614 games. So his his ability to get things done as well, I mean, it's just, like I said, it's a testament to, to players buying into the system, understanding what's expected of them, and, and knowing that, uh, you know, they're going to, they're going to sacrifice everything game in and game out to get things done for their coach. And I think that's just, uh, you know, it, it kind of shows what kind of person Barry Trotz is and, and what kind of coach he is for, for players to buy in like that. Is he a Hall of Famer? I mean, he's only had like two Jack Adams and, you know, a Stanley Cup to his name. I would say, honestly, <laughs> I would say he's, I mean, this gets us back into that Hall of Fame talking. Yeah. You talk about the saturate. Look, he's top three <laughs> in coaching wins. Yeah. I think if you if you become top five in coaching wins, you got the Stanley Cup. Um, like you said, you have the Jack Adams. Those are personal awards as well, right? The Jack mm-hmm. Adams. I mean, we talk about players and, and and individual awards. That's an individual award for for a coach. Um, I mean, obviously, it goes along with you know your coaching staff was a part of it. But uh, if you talk about playoffs, even like playoffs, he's 143, 72, and 71. So he's got he's got a winning percentage or sorry he's seventy two and seventy one in in the playoffs through yeah. one hundred forty three games, so he is a winning coach technically in the playoffs as well. Um, but he's a guy that you know I think he's still got a lot of hockey left in him um, in terms of what he's able to do. Um, so I think you know it's something obviously we'll revisit when when his. Uh, his career is done, and obviously this podcast will still be still be going on in, in, in another <laughs> fifteen years. Um, but uh, you know, who knows? Who knows? I, I I personally would would put him on the ballot. I mm-hmm. maybe not a first ballot guy, but definitely a guy that you look at and say, yeah, he's he's uh, he, he's a Hall of Famer. If you look at the top five right now, Scotty Bowman's in the Hall of Fame. Al Arbor's in the Hall of Fame. The only two that the only three that aren't. Uh, are Barry Trotz, Joel Quenville, and Ken Hitchcock. And I can guarantee you that Ken Hitchcock, with his his Stanley Cup, mm-hmm. his 849 wins, you're going to be talking about that that guy as well. Um, obviously, he was a part of some uh, some pretty talented international teams as well. So um, I think you're going to see the top five all in the Hall of Fame at some point. Yeah, I think the argument that you can make against... Uh, Bowman, like, yeah, his team had regular season success, especially with the Nashville Predators. They just didn't quite click until he went over to Washington, where, you know, he started to see a little bit more success later on. I mean, obviously, because he won the Stanley Cup. So, yeah, the record may not show it in the playoffs, but hey, Stanley Cup's a Stanley Cup, no matter what. Like, even the years before that, doesn't matter to me. You got the cup. You did your job. You're, You're on top. Yeah, do you credit uh, Ovechkin's 
one Stanley Cup win to having Barry Trotz behind the bench? Maybe. Maybe not. Again, no. No, because it's a team effort, but I think it was Ovechkin buying into Trotz's game plan. And we saw, and even when Barry Trotz like came over from Washington in 2014-15, you started to see like a, like a subtle change in Ovechkin's game. Like he was buying in more. Like it wasn't just about, you know, the goals or whatever. I mean, we always knew that his drive to win was great. We knew that the management beforehand made some, you know, questionable decisions roster-wise. But Ovechkin was Ovechkin no matter what. And I think getting Trotz in just ignited the fire even more. So yeah, I think I, both fed off each other. It's interesting you say that because a while back, I want to say four or five years ago, I wrote a I wrote a piece for the hockey writers about how Ovechkin was a ki- coach killer. It was right after Dale mm-hmm. Dale Hunter left, and there's a lot of speculation as to why he left. And and uh, you know, at that time, the the Capitals were kind of running through coaches. They had Adam Oates yeah. behind the bench. They had you know Dale Hunter behind the bench, and there was just it was a lot of talk about like how maybe. Maybe Ovechkin didn't buy in the way he should have. And mm-hmm. then Barry Trotz came along almost immediately, uh, you know, a couple years later. And and Ovechkin bought in. They played a more defensive game. He still put up the, the, the offensive production he did. Yeah. And uh, it was just seeing Barry Trotz kind of control the team a little bit better than previous coaches. Mm-hmm. For me, was it was a testament to what he is as a coach. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I think... I mean, I think uh, he's definitely a big part of that Stanley Cup. But as you mentioned, obviously, you know, a team win is a team win. So um, that's why, you know, hockey's a team game. But mm-hmm. um, the New York Islanders had some more great news when it came to their management uh, this week as uh, Lulan Morello got his 1300th regular season win as a general manager. He is the third general manager in NHL history to reach the milestone behind David Poyle, who is 1,421, and Glenn Sather, who is 1,319. Again, we talk about Lou Lamorello being a guy who just understands the game, understands the personnel side of things, doesn't back down from maybe players holding out. Yeah. Um, you know, we've seen it with Barzell. We've seen, you know, he's does, he's not a guy who's going to shy away from, from forcing players' hands a little bit. And we saw it in, in New Jersey. We saw it in Toronto. And now in in the Islanders system, um, just obviously, you know, he's helping that team become a contender year in and year out and, you know, testament to him and trots behind, uh, behind those players. But, uh, what a, what a milestone for Lou Lamorello. And, uh, obviously like, like trots, we congratulate Lamorello on his, his accomplishment. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, we can go on and on about like how he gave, you know, over six million to an aging Patrick Marlowe, signed Nikita Zaitsev to that deal after his rookie year and all that and all that. But you know what? Before that, Lou Lamorello was like, you know, he was the he was the framework for what a general manager should be. He was a smart hockey mind. He knows he knows how to adapt, or at least at some points he does know how to adapt because he had a cap crunch this year with some of the signings that he made, but he knows how to try to wiggle his way around it. And, you know, again, a testament to his career. He knows he knows how to do his job well. And there is no denying that. Whether you like some of the moves that he's made or not, he's still a brilliant hockey mind. No, absolutely. And, 
you mentioned it. We saw it in uh, New Jersey in the way that he was able to continually push that team to be contenders. Um, you know, and, and maybe he didn't get a fair shake in Toronto. Obviously, they had Dubas coming up, and he was ready to kind of take over, and they kind of, you know, pushed Lou out a little bit, uh, I want to say. But, um, you know, it just what he's been able to do in, in New York since joining the Islanders, he's doing the exact same thing as he did with with uh, the Devils, just with a little bit more of a cap crunch these days. And I think that's that in itself is just a perfect uh, perfect example of what he's been able to do as a GM in this league for so long. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There is no question about that. Yeah, and, uh, you know, talking about coaches and their effect on the game, um, I got I got to bring up Patrick Lyonne and his his start with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, we've seen a little bit of everything with this guy so far. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've seen his goal scoring. We've seen his his skating is tremendous again. Uh, you know, he just seems more motivated again in Soft Columbus. Fight yesterday. Saw a fight yesterday, his first... Yeah his first fighting major in the NHL. Um, but we also saw him get benched by uh, John Tortorella. And I mean, to the point where he played maybe six minutes in that game, we've had Mark on a couple times to talk about torts as a coach. Um, Mark Shag, I I'm referring to and, and what, what torts does as a coach to kind of get his players to buy in and, and motivate them in a different way that maybe some other coaches do. The benching seemed to give, line a that kick in the ass that he needed um obviously the following day we at practice we saw you know tape of of line a and tortorella getting together at center ice and having a little chat but there was talk about how it was he was benched because of the way that he verbally abused a member of the coaching staff yeah is this just maybe blown out of proportion maybe he just had something to say and and and, you know it's done with dealt with I mean that seems to be the way that Columbus wants to shove it under the rug here obviously we got to talk about it a little bit I don't know if it's necessarily blown out of proportion because you don't want you know your players and coaches to butt heads especially with a new one coming over to a new team you want to try and like give the best and not necessarily impress. Well, yeah, absolutely. You want to give the best impression possible because, you know, he's coming from an organization where, you know, he's it's been reported that there were certain issues with the team as well. Coming over here, you want to try and avoid that. Um, but, yeah, we do have insight because he apparently he it was reported that he did verbally abuse an assistant coach. Listen, my take is this. Players and coaches, they're always going to have their disagreements and they're always good at butt heads. We've seen it on a number of occasions on a number of teams in Toronto and Montreal play. Like you feel like there's a rift between players and everything like that. That's really isn't the case. You know, swear words fly and things can get heated at times, but you know, you go back to doing your job. There's a mutual understanding between player and coach. There is a point that if you do cross the line and things do get out of hand, you got to step in and make the right choice. And if this is the case where, you know, it was escalating to a certain point where Torch said he's had enough, he has the right to bench him. I mean, I would probably do the same thing because you want, you want, again, you want to have that respect and understanding between players and coaches. You see it all the time. But then after the fact that, you know, you think something's happening, they go back to being normal and everything's all hunky-dory, right? If... Again, if it, if it crosses a certain line, 
you do have to step in and make a point that this that kind of stuff isn't going to be tolerated. Yeah, again, like I said, swear words fly. You know, it it's it it's how people uh, express their anger sometimes. But yeah, that's that that that's how I feel about the benching if that is the case. And but hey, it seemed to have worked. He seemed to have gotten his act together, and we saw last night what he can do. So, I mean, at 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 a point you you do overcome stuff like this and i think this is could be for the better line a learned from his you know the confrontation maybe he's now going to be in check with what he says now so hopefully that they maybe they can put this behind them move forward because it looked like line a did it last night yeah no absolutely and uh you gotta remember this kid's still young like still mm-hmm. young still a lot to learn in the league still a lot to learn as a professional um you're going to get frustrated. And I I think that's all it was, was a little bit of frustration coming over to a new team, getting bounced around the lineup a little bit. Uh, You know, he played with, with Texier, then he played with Domi. Um, You know, there's, uh, there's a lot still there for him to kind of, you know, reel in the emotions a little bit. It's not Mm -hmm. a bad thing to be an emotional player. That said, you have to know when to use that to your advantage. And I think that's maybe the one big thing there. Um, But, you know, he's still young. He's still a guy that, uh, you know, he's going to learn lessons as he goes through this league. And I think that's the biggest thing for line A. And I, I, I don't think it was blown out of proportion. That said, I don't think it was a, as big of an issue as, as maybe we, we, as media members like to make yeah. it. I also think too, that, you know, he's, com- he's coming over to a team where maybe he didn't have that much of a vocal presence as a leader. Cause he was playing behind Shifley Wheeler um Morrissey players and Hellebuck players who who have been in the league longer than he has he's coming over to a team now where maybe he like they expect him to try and be that vocal presence to show that energy to show that you know aggressive side that maybe that this team can do better he maybe they want him to show that kind of that edge but again do it under the do it under the line don't try and cross it but if if he can try and get that in check and I, I definitely think that he will, then maybe they got an emotional player on their side and that could benefit the team going forward. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, going off of the Columbus Blue Jackets, they had some more news uh, come out this week. Center and 37, or yeah, center Miko Koivu uh, decided to hang up the skates. Um, obviously, you know, a, a respected guy around the league um, a guy that uh, put everything into his game and, uh, you know, was a hell of a player for Minnesota for, for a number of years. Um, obviously, they, they decided to part ways with him this year, um, and he joined the Columbus Blue Jackets. In a statement released by Koibu, he said, This was not an easy decision for me as I have loved every minute of my short time in Columbus and really hope to be able to help this team accomplish its goals this season. But the bottom line is I haven't been able to get to the level of play that I need to be uh, true to myself and fair to my teammates. So the time is right for me to retire from hockey. I've been extremely blessed and I am eternally grateful to the Minnesota Wild and Columbus Blue Jackets organizations for the opportunities they have given me to live out my dreams of playing in the National Hockey League for the past 16 years. So... I mean, obviously, he he kind of wanted to give oppor- give way for opportunity for other players to to you know play the game and, and be be a part of that organization. Um, 
you know, it, it's tough. And, and you hear it from former players all the time when they talk about it. You kind of just know when you know. And, and the nice part is he was able to go off on his own terms, um, yeah. not forced out by injury, just wasn't uh, – it, it's a quick league now. Mm-hmm. Um, you're talking a guy. You're talking about a guy who's been around for for 16 seasons. Um, you know, he was the captain of Minnesota from from 2009 to 2020. So I mean, you know, he's 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 been a guy that's been around. Um, you talk about him as a, as a as a player for Finland at at the international level. Uh, he he was part of two Olympic teams: won silver in 2006, bronze in 2010. Won two, or he was part of two World Cup tournaments. Um, finished second in 2004. Um, six double IHF World Championships: bronze medal in 06, silver in 07, bronze again in 08, gold in 11, uh, 2011, and another silver in 2016. And then he was also part of two World Junior Championships where he won silver in 01 and bronze in 02. Um, I mean, this guy is, in terms of Finnish players, Finnish-born players in the NHL. He ranks fifth in points and assists and seventh in games played and goals. So not a guy that, you know, took things lightly, put everything he had into into the game of hockey and into the NHL and the teams he played for. And it's just, you know, obviously we, we wish him the best. And uh, hopefully, you know, this is this is uh, not the end of Miko Koivu when it comes to hockey. Yeah, definitely, definitely one of the top finished players, in my opinion, of all time. Um, he's up there, maybe top 10. Um, just a really, like, he said it himself that the level of play isn't where he wanted it to be at. So you could tell that even in the last couple of years, the production and the level of play did start to decline. And you just, you just really can't put, words can't describe how great of a career that he had, you know, um, granted didn't quite get the Stanley cup or, you know, uh, it, it happens, right? Some players, they drive, they play hard to get it, and it just doesn't work out. But he was a really, really great two-way centerman. Uh, 54.1% face-off percentage throughout his career. And you just mentioned it. like the, He was a major impact and force for Finland internationally. And, and you also said this, it's good that he went out on his own terms. A lot of players are forced out of it because of something... You just said it best, you know, there he went out on his own terms. He felt it was the right moment. He wasn't going to let, you know, play another game and then let a major injury hamper or something down the line. Right. He thought that this was the time he's going to go through with it. And again, just wish him nothing but the best because I've, I've always admired him. I always have admired him with the level of play and the intensity that he always has on the power play penalty kill. He's a jack of all trades centerman. And you know, his impact is going to be lost because he was one of those great guys. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, you mentioned it, 711 points in 1,035 games played. Um, you know, just a guy that seemed to go out there and grind every game. He was a former sixth overall pick in 2001 to Minnesota, where he spent the majority of his career. Uh, in seven games with the Blue Jackets this year, he had one goal, one assist for two points. Just was not uh, the same player that he once was. And at 37, mm-hmm. I mean, we talk about it all the time. This is a young player's league now. It's quick. Uh, if you can't keep up, it makes it tough to, to kind of uh, get in the lineup, especially in a year like this where, you know, this seems to be like each team is making moves every single day. So um, 
as we said, all the best to to uh, Miko Koivu, and and hopefully he has a spot in hockey uh, down the road. Who do you think's the better Koivu brother, Miko or Saku? Oh, that's that's tough. a tough. One. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, think, I, probably, I probably should have pegged that question right now. <laughs> you know what? I think had Saku had a full career, I think it would have been a different story. Yeah. Um, I think Saku, you know, being hindered with with injuries and and having uh, having cancer and and, and kind of you know, being taken out of that lineup for as long as he was, um, you know, I think you'd be talking about a different story if, uh, if Saku played the, the same amount of games as, as Miko, but um, both in, incredible players. And, and from, from what I understand, incredible people to be around. So, um, you know, I think every teammate that they had over the years that they played um, benefited from having them in the locker room. It's probably one of those questions where there is no right answer. Yeah. Yeah. You can make <laughs> arguments both way. For sure. Um, going, on, I want to jump back to management, uh, the management side of things, for a second, because, I mean, we we get to see it a little bit this, a little bit more this year with the Vancouver Canucks being in the North Division. Um, obviously, not the greatest team this year. We talked about it last episode and how they have kind of taken a step back this year, rather than yeah. you know where they were uh, last season. Um, they there's a lot of questions on where they're going to go, where they're, you know, what, uh, what changes need to be made. Who's, who's going to go, who's going to stay. And, uh, Francesco Accolini, I believe it's their owner, um, did come out with a statement on Twitter. It was a six tweet statement, um, where he said, this has been a unique year for everyone. Roster changes, very little training camp, no preseason, and just a few practice practice days. It takes time for new players to fit in and a new group chemistry to take hold, both on and off the ice. Of course, I'm disappointed by my by our poor start, but the last thing we're going to do is panic. We've even or we've been better in recent games, and I believe we'll continue to improve. Our fans are passionate, and knowledgeable. They have every right to express themselves, but when the media starts pouring gas on the fire, dealing in rumors and misinformation, as if it's fact, it's time for me to speak up. Contrary to what you may have read or heard, we're sticking to the path we're on, building on our core of young talent. Progression is not always a straight line. This is no easy fix, only patience, commitment, and hard work. Like Besser, Pedersen, and Hughes, Hoglander was an excellent pick. It looks like he'll be a great part of our future. Our hockey group believes Pud Colson will step right into the lineup as well. I have full confidence in Jim, Travis, and this group. I have no plans to make changes. Hashtag we are all Canucks. Thoughts on this? Um, obviously, like I mentioned, we've seen them against the Leafs a few times this season. The Leafs absolutely pounded them. Great for us as Leaf fans. Not great for Vancouver, but it seems that Akalini wants to stick with the team that he's got in place, with the coaching staff he's got in place. Where does it go from here? I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. I really don't. Um, whenever your team goes through a rough stretch like the Canucks are right now, the owner always has to try and chime in and make sure that, you know, you always want to have a positive outlook. Like things will get better. You know, it's a rough stretch and they did go through a lot of changes. I mean, I mean, it wouldn't be, 
let's face it, Chris Tanev had a major impact on Quinn Hughes' growth. And now that Quinn Hughes is leading the defense, a lot of pressure is on him. Uh, Jacob Markstrom probably should have signed because Braden Holpe really isn't quite cutting it out. Even Thatcher Demko really hasn't quite taken over the reins despite a phenomenal performance in the playoffs. Um, letting Tyler Toffoli go. That was another mistake on its own. Like I, I believe uh, eight or nine goals have come against the Vancouver Canucks with him. So it's really interesting. They got good pieces going forward. It's just now they just got to get over that hump and try and find that consistency. I know in Toronto's, I, I don't want to compare the Canucks to the Maple Leafs, but the Maple Leafs did have their growing pains. Not maybe in the first season of like, you know, coming out of what happened but down the line or like certain parts in mid-season they've had their growing pains and they had their share fair share of pain we i mean we're we're fairly used to that and we're seeing that with the canucks right now they're going through a major stretch right now where it's tough to win games but hopefully it comes down to a point where things do start to you know get better for them i mean you look at players in the top six horvat besser miller petterson Hoglander is starting to probably jump in there. That's going to be that that you have the foundation already. And even when Vasily Podkolzin comes in, there's another guy added to your roster. You got maybe a couple of other players on the back end, like even Jack Rathbone, who's like, you know, maybe starting to try and turn heads. Maybe give him a shot on defense, you know, give players an opportunity. I mean, they're they're making some decisions where, you know, We've seen in Toronto, you shouldn't have played this player. Maybe give this guy a chance, you know? There's a lot of, like, factors going into this season right now, and I think that maybe they just need to get together, have, like, a meeting with coaches, with players, and try and get everything back on track, maybe. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, uh, you know, steps can be taken. I don't think Travis Green's a bad coach. Nor do I Absolutely think this not. Is a, nor do I think this is a bad team. I think De- Thatcher Demko's the goalie of the future. You've got guys like – got veteran guys like – uh, Bo Horvat, who learned from the Sedin twins on how to be a pro, um, you know you've got you've got guys in the lineup that want to be there, and I think it's just a matter of putting those pieces together. It's it's like running a running a company, put players in the position to succeed. Mm-hmm. And I mean it, it's tough because you got a guy like Pud Colson who you did draft. He signed in the he signed back uh, overseas um, for a few more years, so you've got time there where you, you you know maybe you don't bring him over right away because you can't. Uh, but he's a guy that will help this team in in the in the very near future. Um, and and you've got guys like Hoglander who's who are, who's still learning the North American game. Yeah. Um, you know he's not going to come over here and have instant success. Not everyone's going to be like Elias uh, Pedersen, where he comes in and just and just has instant success. So I mean, I think there's a lot of it's like any it's like any fan base. You get irritated very quickly when your team's not succeeding well. Yeah. Um. And I mean, we saw it in Toronto. They had a they had a, a really bad year, and people were throwing jerseys on the ice and crap on the ice, and you Waffle know, Gates. Waffle Gate. I mean, Oof. it. There comes a point. And first of all, don't throw a two hundred dollar jersey on the ice. That's the that's another story. Yeah. But, I paid good money for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I will never understand. Not you have thirty one teams in the league, soon to be thirty two. You can't have thirty one teams succeeding at all 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 times. Yeah. At a certain point, 
some teams are going to be better than others, and it's a league where they have put so much into wins and losses. Mm-hmm. You will get losses. You are going to lose games. Um, there's no ties anymore. You know, it, it's it's a league based on having that win percentage, getting into the playoffs, and not every team is going to win the cup. And, you know, you're talking to a, a long-standing struggling Leaf fan who hasn't seen a cup in his entire lifetime. The last Same. time they won was 1967. Yep. I wasn't even an afterthought. My parents Same were here. just kids. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you, yeah, is it frustrating to watch year in and year out and pour your passion into a team that just does not seem to get it? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. We For a while, the, the Leafs were the, the New York Rangers where we brought in players far past their prime. Mm-hmm. Owen Nolan. Brian, Brian Leach. Leach. Ron Phil, Francis. Phil Housley. Yep. Ron Francis. Like Glenn Wesley. Oh, you, this is a blast from the past, man. You know what I mean? Like I'm just – anyways, but it's besides the point. I, I think this Vancouver Canucks team is going to be a successful team. I think give it time to have the owner come out and, and voice that there is support there from, from the top and it trickles down i think that's important and i think uh you'll see you'll see this team turn around very quickly they did get they pulled out a win last night i think that's important against a a calgary team and and jacob markstrom who you know has been on a tear against his former club this season so i think that's uh that's a huge thing to watch you you lost some big names in tanev to foley and uh and markstrom and and that hurts uh and it does take time to to figure out your your uh your um who you are your identity again so i think you know keep an eye on this team they're going to be successful down the road and you just mentioned that too finding the team identity it took this year for the maple Leafs to find their identity and obviously with the talent that they've had even making the playoffs something seemed off this year they're buying in they know who they are and once the canucks figure that out watch out because they're going to be dangerous yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And uh, the Canucks, like many teams this week, put Louis Erickson on waivers. There's a long list of waivers that uh, I, I'm not going to go through. I'm not going to bore you with that. But some names that stood <laughs> out were Louis Erickson and James Neal. Uh, the Oilers put James Neal on the on the uh, the waiver lift, list. Both cleared. Uh, both were back in the lineup. Um, I think this is just a testament to where the game is right now. Yeah. And I don't I don't want to get into it in in a crazy way because obviously, you know, we've seen the roster moves that there has been this season. There's over 2,000 roster moves through yeah. the first month of the season. Um, and players are, are joining the taxi squad back up in the in the NHL. We've seen it with Jason Spezza. Um, but I think it's a testament to where the game is right now. Teams are more focused on their young players and getting them the opportunity Um you know, we we hear the Leafs are, are looking to get Sandine back in as, as soon as possible, possibly yeah. get Nick Robertson back in as soon as possible. They joined the Marlies this week. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's just a testament to where the game's at and, and, and what teams are focused on at this point. And, uh, you know, most of these players will land somewhere, whether they land back with the, their teams that, that put them on waivers or they land somewhere else. A lot of these players will be picked up. We saw Aaron Dell go to the, uh, the Devils at one point this season from the Leafs. 
Um, but yeah, I, I don't want to get too deep into the waiver, the waiver black hole that is, uh, because it seems like it's more of a roster move than anything these days. But, um, yeah. How great is it to see possibly Nick Robertson come back despite seeing that injury in the second game of the season, only played two minutes and then just gone after that. I mean, Probably going to get times in with uh, some ice time with the Marlies, but it, I don't think it'll be long before he maybe gets up, maybe sees another game or two with the Leafs before, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, it really is weird how everything is happening. One day he could be up, the other day he could be down, going to the taxi squad, Marlies, what have you, whatever. I'm just happy to see Nick Robertson back playing some hockey. That's just the bottom line. No matter where he is, Nick Robertson hockey is exciting hockey. Yeah, no, absolutely. And a uh, couple of small trades to get into um, from this this past week. The the Hurricanes have traded a seventh-round pick in the 2022 NHL draft, which could be happening a day after the 21 draft, um, <laughs> to the Columbus Blue Jackets in exchange for the rights for Gregory Hoffman. Um, Gregory Hoffman, obviously a, a, a Swede. He's actually 28 years old, which uh, was surprising to me when I found that out. Um, he has 16 goals and 36 points in 32 games with E.V. Zug of the Swiss National League. Um, he was selected by Carolina in the fourth round of the 2011 draft. Just hasn't uh, hasn't made it over here to North America at this point. He's in his 12th season in the Swiss National League. So small, small deal on that end. Um, that being said, we also saw Ryan Dezingle traded back to the uh, Ottawa Senators mm-hmm. um, for, uh, again, from the Hurricanes. Hurricanes were busy this week for Cedric, Cedric Paquette and Alex Galchenyuk. And, man, should Alex Galchenyuk just stop unpacking his bags or what? A lot of people are making the uh, Mike Sillinger comparison where he's going from team to team to team right now. And uh, I I don't know. I I. Honestly, this was a player that was a third overall pick, and he's struggling to just find any sort of consistency right now to just put up offensive numbers or even just stay in the lineup at this point or even stay on a team. Like, it's... Ah, I'm... I don't know what to say. I I really don't, because this is... Like... Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. like, when is he going to find a stationary home? When is he going to, like, turn things around? Because, like, it's he's jumping from Montreal to Arizona to Pittsburgh to Carolina. There's probably another team in between that I'm missing right now. It's like it, it nothing's there right now. Yeah, and it's interesting because the single has 171 points in 343 career games with Ottawa, Columbus, and Carolina. Galchenyuk. Not not a bad player by any means. He's got 321 points in 557 career games. Yeah. Um. And, and I'm starting to think that this is just a, a way of collecting every single jersey with his name on the back. <laughs> um. At a certain point, I, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him, you know, become a Seattle Kraken down the road, and uh, you know, collect that 32nd jersey. I I, I just I don't know if he's being put in the position to succeed. And maybe that yeah. comes from him being drafted as high as he was. But I don't, for me, a guy like Galchenyuk needs to be, you know, maybe that 
rotating between that second and third line, but put in a position where he's going to succeed. And I, I think it started from his days in Montreal where he just, he was never going to, he's never going to get to that point. He was never going to get to that point. I think they shot his confidence right off the bat and yeah. uh, that, that hurt him in a big way. And since then he's just never really found his, his groove at the NHL level. Um, and, and, and in saying that still found a way to put up 321 points. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is a guy who could absolutely shoot the puck and had a 30-goal season in his fourth year with the Montreal Canadiens. 56 points. That thought Everyone thought that that would probably be the coming out party for Galchenyuk, and he would probably find some consistency there. Really quite hasn't – that hasn't happened. And even this year, one goal in eight games with the Ottawa Senators. So you're talking about position uh, position to succeed. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's probably not getting the ice time that he deserves in Ottawa, where maybe he compared to the 41 points that he had in Arizona. Pittsburgh, you know, further down the depth chart maybe on the wing. They're deeper there, so probably see him on the third line, 17 points. It's pretty respectful for 45 games before being traded over to the Minnesota Wilds. So, yeah, this is... This is a this is an interesting situation because I believe also he was also dealing with an injury in his draft year where he had 61 points in 33 games, and they he they uh, the Canadians still managed to take him third overall. So, yeah, this is just an interesting situation right now. Yeah, I, I mean I would be surprised if Dzingel's moved by Ottawa at the at the deadline, the April 3rd deadline, just to get another pick. But uh, what's what makes this trade even more interesting is the fact that it's you know, taking place this year where Zinkel actually has to quarantine for 14 days before he can join the Ottawa Senators. Mm-hmm. This is similar to the Dubois line A trade. Uh, yeah. Whereas I believe Galchenyuk and Paquette based on, you know, state state legislation will be able to get in the lineup a little bit sooner. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. I, I do think Zinkel is not done uh, in terms of moving for the year. Um, maybe he's the one that needs to keep his bags packed because I think he'll be he'll be a guy that's quickly quickly moved again by the Ottawa Senators to you know booster or boost their their overall um, depth when it comes to the draft in the coming years. So, but uh, yeah, just a small deal to to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I want to quickly get to the under eighteen World Championships, which will take place in Dallas this year. Um, or in the state of Texas, um, it should be uh, it should be a, a fun tournament. Hopefully, hopefully it gets underway and and, and runs smoothly. Um, it will be taking place in Frisco, te- Texas, and Plano, Texas. Hopefully, I'm saying that right. Canada is in Group A with Sweden. Um, I believe Sweden, the Swiss, Belarus, and it looks like Latvia. So. Not the weak, not the strongest group, but not the weakest group either. Um, but like I said, hopefully it gets underway and we get a chance to watch some of these young players. Uh, the next wave of uh, of draftees as we look to continue our prospecting over at the Hockey Writers. Um, it's it's big for us. That kind of tournament is is always fun to watch and see where players are at uh, just before they hit their 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 draft year. This would have been a fun tournament to go and watch in terms of like the prospects, considering that, I mean, given the pandemic and everything like that, obviously things had to change. But this would have been a fun tournament to go and watch because it initially would have been in Ann Arbor, Michigan or Plymouth Ann Ann Arbor. 
Sorry about that. Um, but yeah, this is a great opportunity. I mean, if the players up for the draft were playing in the World Juniors that were probably not really their best foot forward and they're going to be playing in this tournament as well, it gives them an opportunity for those draft eligible players to come up, show an oppor- give the opportunity to play and showcase their talents because let's face it, for players on Team Canada's roster, they may have not they may be a step behind, kind of like the World Juniors this year. Canada was a step behind where players like on Team USA, Russia, Sweden, they were already playing hockey. So it'll be interesting to see who's going to be on that roster. You could expect to see, you know, uh, I don't want to jump to conclusions, but it would be nice to see Brant Clark. It would be nice to see Carson Lambos in a more, you know, in a defined role where they're, you know, not necessarily playing middle of the pack, but they could be top line defenders. You could probably see Brandon Othman, uh, maybe a Cole Sillinger, Francesco Pinelli. They're, these are guys that are up for the draft this year that could possibly play on the roster as well. Um, again, I don't know. I'm just throwing names out there. I really need to double check the ages to make sure they're eligible, but they're going to be, there's going to be a really good roster coming forth because Canada has a lot of great players coming up in this draft that maybe could make an impact on their draft stock and, you know, maybe surprise, maybe surprise a team or two and then move up further up, uh, where there may be a fourth round pick into the third or second. We've seen that happen. So I'm looking forward to this tournament because aside from the world juniors, I really do love the U 18s. Basically what you're saying is give us more hockey. Give us as much hockey as you can give us all year round, every single day. We want hockey. Short answer, yes. Short, <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I, I probably should have just said that. <laughs> probably should have just said that instead of going on and on and on about, about how we want to see hockey. But yeah, just, just give us more hockey, you know? I mean, again, this is... This is a this is a tur- this is a tournament that aside from the World Juniors, it means a lot to some players. Where, again, maybe they were underage on the World Junior team, didn't get the fair chance. Maybe this U18 team or this tournament could play a major factor for them. So, always, I mean, hopefully next year will be in different circumstances where maybe I'm not sure if fans are going to be in the stadium at this point. I don't know. I don't want to jump to that conclusion. But if it was going on next year, maybe you could have the fans. So. Hockey's hockey. Let's get it. I want to see it. Let's go. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, with that, obviously, you know, we we talk a lot about the OHL, WHL, all that kind of stuff. But the Red Deer Rebels of the WHL um, looks like they'll be living at the rink this year. Um, uh, a, a picture tweeted out uh, earlier this week showed the suites at the uh, the Red Deer Rebels uh, home rink set up with beds in it uh basically ready to go so that it's livable for these players they will be at the rink at all times um uh, basically on site so that uh you know they are quarantined to the arena and uh that's it, it's going to be interesting it's going to be interesting me personally i was hoping that they put another bed in another suite and give me an opportunity to live at the rink as well i think that's <laughs> i mean it looks phenomenal i you wake up and you look out uh, out your let's say, let's call it a window, but it's more of a hole in your wall. And there yeah. it is. There's the ice rink. That's uh man. It's a hockey <clears throat> fan's dream come true. I mean, given the spread that's, that we saw with the QMJHL and, you know, 
given the circumstances that's what's going on right now it's sad to see this but this is a really good alternative i mean i don't not necessarily a good alternative because nobody wants to be put in this situation where you know you're already quarantining you're already separated from you know your family you're living with billets and everything like that and now you have to possibly break off some contact with them and live in the arena so it's this is where you know the mental aspect and you know the mental health becomes really important because you know you're not secluding yourself just to your family you're now breaking contact with everybody right now you're in your own little personal space you're in the arena it would it does help in terms of like you know the spread you know once you're in your living quarters you just stay there you go down practice games what have you um but yeah it i mean it's a great alternative for the time being but it's just sad that it has to come to this yeah no absolutely um it's like like you said i mean it, it is sad that it has to come to it i think it's a great great move by the the organization to make mm-hmm. sure that this spread doesn't continue um keeps their players safe tries to keep their staff safe um it, it'll be interesting to see how well it works um but uh yeah i mean obviously we want to get hockey underway in in all leagues and and we'll get to it in a sec with the ohl set uh set to restart as well um but um we want everyone to be safe as well. And uh, at this point, the spread is so crazy. The variants are, 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 are entering Canada, entering yeah. the U.S. Um, there's still a lot to figure out when it comes to COVID-19. And, uh, you know, we mentioned it every single week. Uh, we want people to be safe. So if it means no hockey for a little while, we understand. Um, that being said, if there's ways to do it and, and not continue the spread, I mean, the NHL is having a tough time in in uh, in the states. It looks like the North Division might be the safe place to be at this point in time. Yeah, uh, there was a slight scare with Jesse Pugliarvi of the uh, Edmonton Oilers, but he uh, apparently was a po- a, ne- a positive, a false positive. Sorry, wow, a po- <laughs> a false positive. Uh, so he he actually did not test positive. That said, they still took precautions to get him out. Um, sent him back to New or uh, Edmonton um, to quarantine just in case, but um, yeah, I mean, a lot to still talk about. Obviously, I just mentioned the OHL is uh, is looking to get back underway. Obviously, they don't want to lose their season either. There's a lot of kids with a lot on the line. Mm-hmm. Um, as 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 guys who who do rank prospects for the NHL draft. Um, you know, obviously it's tough to, to see certain certain players not get the opportunity to showcase what they're able to do in their draft year. Yeah. Um, that said, the OHL restart is subject to government approval. They're looking at a 24-game season, four hub cities, March quarantines at home before arriving in the host cities. Um, April 2nd to 4th week, or sorry, April 2nd to 4th weekend as a targeted start to the season. Um, and government government mandated quarantines for imports. So obviously they'll be looking to bring their players back from Europe. Uh, there yeah. are a few players on loan in Europe as well. They'll look to come back. Obviously they'll need a quarantine. Um, they talk about the four hub cities. My guess is they'll create some sort of bubble in those cities as they won't want players going out at any point. Yes, um, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, obviously good news for the OHL and the players looking to be drafted this year. Um, players that are in their draft year, players that are in their final, you know, their their overage year, and, and and want a future in hockey. I mean, that's that that's this is their opportunity as well. 
But um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully the restart goes well. The WHL is looking to restart as well, um, and, and we can we can continue to progress towards having hockey and getting people back in the stands as as we move towards understanding this this illness a little bit uh, a little bit better. Yeah, I, I mean, we we again we kind of sound like a broken record every single week. Um, if it's safe to do the return, do it. I mean, the fact that they're having four hub cities and try and maybe like split it up for like division, have one hub city for one division. I mean, just yeah, have one hub city for one division. Um, that way the teams are central or localized in that one area. You do the same thing. Just play every single game against each other. Yeah, it may sound like a bore where you're seeing the same competition every single time. But you know what? To avoid travel to certain areas where, you know, you're still in um like complete shutdown where you're just reopening possibly, which is still risky. You want to try and mitigate that as best as possible. So they're going about this the right way to have four hub cities as opposed to just travel from, you know, um, city to city to city. So, you know what? I'm all for that. If you can do it, great. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. And um, before we get into Maple Leafs and Marley's talk, I did just want to mention that, uh, again, you said it. We sound like a broken record every every week, but uh, mm-hmm. it seems that more and more people are <clears throat> are leaving leaving the hockey world. And uh, former Canadian center Ralph Backstrom died at the age of 83 this week. He was the 1959 Calder Trophy winner um, as the NHL's top rookie. He won uh, six Stanley Cups and played a key role in the Habs getting Guy Lafleur at uh, at the point that they did. Um, you know, obviously he battled a uh, he battled a lengthy illness uh, at his home in Colorado. Um, he was from Kirkland Lake, Ontario, and as a 16 year old, played uh, in the 1954 junior or with the 1954 Junior Canadians. So um, obviously a sad day for the the Montreal Canadiens and the hockey world on that uh, on that se- in that sense. He played 17 seasons in the NHL with the Canadians, Los Angeles Kings, and Chicago Blackhawks. He followed that up with four seasons in the WHA with the Chicago Cougars, Denver Spurs, Ottawa Civics, and New England Whalers. Um, he did coach for 15 years at the University of Denver and spent several years as a scout for the St. Louis Blues. So obviously a big loss there. Um, on top of that, um, the Toronto Star, longtime Toronto Star writer Frank Orr also passed away at 84. Uh, he was known as having an ear for the he was the ear of the hockey world and uh you know obviously we don't talk a lot about the media side all the time um but uh he did spend a lot of time covering our beloved maple leafs the stanley cup champions uh championships uh during the 60s uh, and had a lot of fun covering the eventful years of harold ballard uh and the ownership uh that uh was basically a massacre for the uh for the maple leafs at times (laughs) Um, he was, uh, he was, uh, inducted into the hockey hall of fame in 1989, had n- numerous writing uh, honors, um, and, uh, was a big part of Toronto Maple Leaf coverage throughout the years. Uh, he became a true power broker in the sport, offering readers insight into the lives of Leafs legends like George Armstrong, who we also lost uh, recently, Dave Keon and Daryl Sittler. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, 
as I mentioned, obviously, you know, we, we mention this every every week. We hate to see things like that happen. Yeah. Uh, we hate to see people like this go. Um, or was also uh, earned himself the Hockey Hall of Fame's Elmer Ferguson Memorial Award, a Lifetime Achievement Award for sports media in Canada in 2003. Um, so big loss to the media side of things, big loss to the hockey side of things and uh, the Montreal Canadiens. And we wish the family and friends of both of those gentlemen um, all the best um, in, in trying to deal with their losses. So um, we're here with you. And uh, again, um, big loss. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, never want to see that. Um, two great long-standing careers on both sides of the puck, as, as you mentioned, one hockey, one, uh, on the ice as you know player coach scout and the other one reporting it covering the big events of the maple Leafs history both good and bad as you just mentioned with the stanley cup and again the aforementioned you know terrible times of harold ballard where you know just i don't know how you how, how you how people were able to like manage their emotions during that time especially on the media side of things because that just would have been i mean an absolute crapshoot just to see going on back then, but absolutely nothing but respect and our condolences to both the families of, of theirs. And yeah, it's something you'd never want to see no matter what. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, um, uh, just kind of jumping forward from that, uh, obviously, you know, we know you guys come here to listen to Maple Leafs talk. We know you guys come here to listen to all Toronto hockey talk. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing from the six this week as the NWHL is still on, on hiatus. Uh, that said, the Toronto Marlies made some interesting moves. Um, they signed Pavel Gogolev, who is a free agent undrafted. Um, I think it's a, it's a big move for them. Obviously, uh, they're looking to add any sort of depth that they can. Um, Gogolev, uh, played for the Guelph Storm. Um, and, uh, hold on here. Yeah. The Guelph storm, he finished with 96 points, 45 goals, 96 points in 63 games in 2019, 20, um, just incredible numbers. Uh, he was overplaying in Sweden with, uh, Vasby IK of the hockey Alsvin Alsvin. Uh, I can't say that. Uh, I just butchered that. Alsvenskin. That's right. That's right. There we go. <laughs> there, I'll just throw it to you every time I need a pronunciation. <laughs> That said, he's got two goals, three points in 12 games. Um, he, like I, like I mentioned, he was signed to the Toronto Marlies, who looked to get back underway this week uh, with the AHL season kicking off. Um, on top of that, and and I'll throw it to you in just one second, they did sign a number of other undrafted free agents, including a guy that we talked about as a potential steal in the 2020 draft, mm-hmm. James Hardy. Um, he tweeted out his disappointment following the draft and not, not being a drafted player, uh, at the 2020, uh, NHL draft. Um, obviously a guy that played for Mississauga of the OHL and had an incredible year last year, uh, where he put up 63 points in 59 games that coming off a year where he only put up 22 points in 62 games with the Steelheads, uh, in 2018-19. But, uh, you know, a guy that in his draft year put up some pretty great numbers and still managed to go undrafted. Um, big opportunity for him signing with the Toronto Marlies on a, on a professional tryout. And uh, it'll be interesting to see where this goes. Yeah, first off with Gogolev, um, 
had a in 2018-19, he had some sort of connection uh, playing with both Semyon Dragicinsev and Nick Robertson before being traded to the Guelph Storm. So you know some familiarity, some familiarity there with two former teammates in the OHL, and had a massive. Uh, 2019-20 season with 96 points and 45 goals with the Storm. So um, there's always a hesitancy to drafting uh, players in, that are in their overage season or going through their second time through the draft. Um, scouts maybe didn't really see something then, but maybe the Leafs saw something with his play right now over in Sweden. And giving him a look, 6'1", 181 pounds, good size, Left winger who could shoot and skate. I'm really looking forward to that. But the main thing is James Hardy. And I was kind of shocked when not only was did he go undrafted, but even this year, he's not even on like Central Scouting's preliminary watch list for the draft because he would technically be, you know, coming through the second time around, right? And I when we did our mock drafts last year. When I was picking for the Maple Leafs, I picked him in the fourth round as a selection. And this is an offensive guy who can shoot, skate, be a little bit, you know, gritty on the attack. He needed to work some things out on the defensive side and just his overall consistency. But he's something that would have been a long-term project that I probably would have selected last year. And right now, like, I'm just going to go back to the draft. I had the Maple Leafs selecting William Villeneuve second overall. They took him fourth. I still had him as a Maple Leafs selection. They still selected him. Different round, what have you, whatever. I'm happy with that. James Hardy in our mock draft, I had him as a fourth rounder. They didn't select him, but they added him or signed him to an ATO to see how well he can do. And if that's the case, if he really does play well, this could be something that, you know, the Maple Leafs do have a really good weapon in them. And the head coach and general manager, James Richmond, um, said that there's an article, a really great article about James Hardy, who's focused on the future, playing through the disappointment or getting through the disappointment and looking to, you know, put everything behind him and, you know, um, use that as motivation the head coach and general manager said he's done looking behind. We're going to move forward and we'll do whatever he wants to do in his development. His dream is to be a pro hockey player and we want to help him get there. Um, I think this is like a really good move. Give him the, every opportunity to, to succeed. And if he plays well and he impresses again, Toronto could have, a really good forward on their hand. And I was, again, I'm, I was really shocked to see him not go drafted at all. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. And and like I said, I think they, they signed a, a number of guys to uh, professional tryouts. Um, obviously, as we mentioned, the HL season gets underway this week. Um, and uh, to have that kind of depth to, to give a guy like, um, you know, Hardy an opportunity to go an, an, an opportunity um, you know, I think I think it, it's a testament to what Dubas is trying to do with this team and uh, build a, a strong prospect pool, even to just get them in, possibly get you know give them an opportunity, see what they can do, and use them as trade bait down the down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's it's like I said, it's a it's a move by by Dubas, and it'll be interesting to see what he does with it. <clears throat> um, jumping over to the the Maple Leafs, 
It's been a busy week for the Maple Leafs. Oh, yeah. Milestones, signings, more injuries. <laughs> I want to kick it off, though, with the Leafs' partnership with the PWHPA. So the play, the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association. Um, obviously, you know, we're trying to get more women's hockey content on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um you know, unfortunately, their season had to come to an early end. But I think this is a great, uh, great move by not only the Maple Leafs, but also the PWHPA to get involved and to help try and build the the legitimacy of this league. I want to see this league um, succeed. And I know there's a there's been a lot of uh, of of backlash online, whether with uh, Barstool Sports and, and that kind of crap. I don't even want to get into that. I want to get into no. the fact that this league is is growing. Um, I think it's a great opportunity for them to continue to grow, to partner with teams like the, the, the Maple Leafs to partner with, we mentioned it last week with discovery as the, as the master or the, uh, the credit card for the, um, for the league, the, the official master or keep wanting to say MasterCard, the <laughs> official credit card of the, uh, of the NWHL. Um, and I think, you know, there's great opportunity for this league to continue to grow even north of the border, get a team in Montreal. Um, there, there's facilities all over the place. Even, you know, you t- we talk a lot about the NHL expanding back or, or going back to Quebec. I think it's a great opportunity maybe for, for a women's team to, to, to you know, take uh, take place in, in, in uh, Quebec and build that again as well. Um, give the fans something to, to, to strive over. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, this is a great opportunity for the Maple Leafs and I think it was a great move by, uh, by the women's hockey league to, uh, to get back, uh, to, to, to grow that partnership and, and continue to try and build this league. Yeah. And, uh, Jana Hefford, who's an operations consultant said that, the, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs have been great supporters and partners of women's hockey in the PWHPA in particular, we are steadfast in our belief that the creation of a professional women's hockey league with the best players in the world will require a new level of infrastructure and resources to ensure its long-term success. And this partnership brings us another step closer to our goal. The Toronto Maple Leafs have been consistent in their support of our players who are committed to building a bright future for women's hockey at all levels. And we're thrilled to continue working with them. I mean, like, let's face it. This is absolutely great to hear. I mean, just a great job and and a great vote of confidence to show support for the players association and to have them on board to help ch- achieve the respect and the advancement of women's hockey that they deserve is absolutely the most wonderful thing that we could hear right now because the NWHL was on fire it was absolutely amazing people were loving it and it, it was it's such a shame that it had to shut down because of you know or the, it had to be suspended because of, you know, the pandemic and everything. It's just, there is a market. Just killing, it on, just killing it on Twitch. Um, the viewership alone, you mentioned, like, the way that this league was able to, to grow um, just in the past, past few months. Yeah. I mean, the viewership alone <clears throat> was just shows you, like you said, the market that there is for this game. Yeah. 30... <clears throat> excuse me in between on average from what i've seen each game was about 30 to sixty thousand viewers on twitch that's bigger than some stream some like streamers on video games would love to have you were actually getting a 
like a stadium full watching you live on a stream without not even going to a game. What does that tell you? There's the market. It is possible. Expand the league. Get the players. Get the teams. Let's get it going. Here's how important the NWHL was to my life. Okay. I didn't even I didn't even know what Twitch was until they started streaming on Twitch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for someone who's watched like a lot of video game streams, it's 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 a good platform. But there have been, you know, issues with some of the content creators that I watch. But that's that's an off tangent. But what they're doing with Twitch to stream these games and give everybody a live feed where no fans could go in at all. It, it, it's perfect. It's the best solution right now. And yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm in shock and awe because of we, we expected, you know, there to be some step forward in regards to that, but this is taken to a whole new level and this is what we need to see right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, and Simmons, um, broken, broken wrist out for six weeks this week. Um, I think personally, that's a big loss for the Leafs. Um, in, in saying that, they did sign Scott Sabrin to a two-way contract. So, you know, they have the ability to bring in Scott Sabrin, who is another physical specimen when it comes to, um, you know, playing the game of hockey. But I think, uh, you know, Simmons was off to a hell of a start with the with the Leafs. And I think that's a big loss for a guy like him. Not going to lie. I was extremely pissed off when we heard that, you know, the news about uh, his wrist, how it wasn't looking good. Like, I literally raged. Um, It's unfortunate that it had to happen right now because he was on fire. I mean, not not throughout the whole entire season, but when he was getting his opportunities, he was getting them. He had he before he was injured, he had five goals, a two goal game against the Vancouver Canucks, and you see the emotion on his face when he scores. He's just loving every second of it. And they made the joke that Matthews was more happy for Simmons when he scored than when Matthews scored. And there's the comparison where, like, when your teammate scores and Matthews is, like, all pumped up to compared to when you scored. So you could tell that everybody loves Wayne Simmons right now. Everybody's rooting for him. Everybody loves him as a teammate right now. Things were going so right for him as he got his opportunity to move up in the top six with Thornton and Robertson out. It's just absolutely unfortunate that this had to happen. And I hope he heals quickly because we need him back. Yeah. I mean, that third game against the Vancouver Canucks, it looked like they could have used Wayne Simmons early on in that first period where they were getting pummeled with shots. And this is the game after he had that injury. So they could have used Wayne Simmons presence. And let's face it. It was an injury where it was just absolutely harmless. I thought it would, like, obviously it got him in an area where, you know, the puck or invaded the equipment of his elbow pad, glove, what have you. And it looked absolutely harmless. It was just like a really, like, light clearing attempt and then bam. You see him get the spray. I'm like, that's kind of not good, but I hope he's okay. I hope he's able to come play. And then we hear the news that he's out for six weeks, way worse than what we expected. So it's funny how like something harmless, like a clearing attempt, not even like a hard shot can do that kind of damage. And uh, again, just hope that we could get Simmons back sooner than later because we need him. He's important to this team right now. Whether you don't like his underlying numbers or not, he is having a significant impact on this team. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, 
I think you mentioned it. Uh, safe to consider this guy uh, an absolute sniper this year. No, no oh, assists. Yeah. Five goals <laughs> in twelve games. Uh, he was off to a great start. Did it be um, up for the Cy Young Award this year? Yeah, no kidding. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, just a, a hell of a start for him. Um, and hopefully, like you said, hopefully he heals up fast. This is his year with his hometown team. Um, mm-hmm. He's added a lot to that uh, to that squad, and uh, you know, just a, an all around tough break for for the for the uh, Scarborough native. So hopefully he can get back in soon and get back to scoring some goals. Um, but one guy that did get into the lineup because of the injury was Rasmus Sandin, and the Leafs went back to a. Uh, sorry, a seven defensive defenseman uh, system where they had uh, Sandine as the extra guy. He, yeah, he only played a few minutes. He did record an assist on uh, on the game winner against uh, Vancouver. But uh, I mean, opportunity for him. He, we mentioned it earlier in the show. He did get sent back down to the AHL. Uh, he will be hopefully starting up with the uh, Marlies this week. But uh, you know. This is a guy who needs to get in some games. Um, yeah. In the past year, he's probably, you know, not. I mean, even in the past six months, he hasn't played enough hockey to to really uh, to really kind of develop his game. And uh, you know, still a young guy. We want to make sure that the the Maple Leafs don't shoot his confidence the way that you know maybe Montreal did with Galchenyuk. Yeah. Um... The confidence thing is really important. I don't think that that may be an issue. I think they still have his best interests in hand. I mean, given the fact that this was a deep year or a year where you didn't know what was going to happen, you wanted to have more buddies on hand. That's why I think they brought in Nico Lettinen, Zach Bogosian, because I don't think if they, if those two probably weren't signed, Rasmus Sandy would be on that third pairing probably with Travis Dermott. But considering the fact that he hasn't played a game since last season – he got his chance, I'll bite five minutes, and he really impressed me no matter what. I mean, he did not look out of place at all. When he was on the ice, he was great in one-on-one situations, closed the gaps very well. And I'm reading this verbatim off of my article from uh, looking at the Maple Leafs uh, defense this year, how it's improved. And... He added an assist on Matthew's 300th point, which we will get to very soon. But the fact that Sandine still made an impact in very limited time where he knows ice time is going to be difficult. And yeah, he's really upset about it and he's disappointed, but he's not letting that affect his game whatsoever. That is the important part. And the fact that he got in one game at the pro level, I think maybe it sets them up for, obviously, something happens, they could easily call him up, have him on the taxi squad, injury goes down, he could play, more, get more minutes. But I'm, yeah, again, I want to see him play more games. I want to see him play the next game against Ottawa if I wanted to. But that may not be the case, considering how you need to juggle your, juggle your roster right now with more uh, players on hand. I, I absolutely love them. In that game against the Canucks, yeah, five minutes, small sample. But you know what? We saw the Rasmus Sandin that we saw last year and the Rasmus Sandin that they drafted. And yeah, his his opportunity is going to come very soon. It's just keep it in check, keep going, keep doing what you need to do, and you will get there. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. And, uh, 
you know, it's 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 kind of the same with a lot of these players. They they haven't seen mm-hmm. a lot of hockey over the last year, and um, I think the the nice part is Keefe and Dubas ha- have kept the line of communication open with Sandine in terms of what their expectations are, uh, where they see him in the in the organizational lineup, and where they see him on on a night to night basis. And I think that's important in itself. They continue to get him, keep him around the big club, and. Uh, you know, now with the move to the HL, he's obviously going to get a little bit more ice time. I don't think this is the last of what of us seeing Sandine uh, with the big club. Absolutely um, not. And I think it's just more of getting his footing under him and getting him back to where he needs to be. But he's a guy that's going to be back up with the Maple Leafs very soon, very quickly. Um, and soon, hopefully, he'll be scoring uh, scoring the, his first of the year just the way that uh, Mikheyev, Hall, and Dermott did the other night. Um all three of them getting on the on the score sheet. All three of them not having a goal in either almost a year or over a year. Um, yeah. So how important was that uh, for them? Obviously to tr- get their names on the score sheet and, and get that that monkey off their back. I mean, you always look forward to the usual suspects: Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Tavares to score the goals. Call it the game where. The streaks were broken, and all, th- and you just mentioned it. All three didn't score a goal as in just under a year or over a year. And I'm just going to start in order of like who I thought not necessarily was better, but just in order of not necessarily importance, but that needed the more impact. I'm going to start off with Dom- uh, Travis Dermott first. He's been really good in that third pairing role, and it sucks that maybe he won't get to see any of the top four minutes, barring any injury. But he's been really great out there, battling in the corners in front of the nets, and just being sort of that two-way guy that they expected of him. Where maybe like he was jumping in the rush just a little bit too much, maybe was good at on defense at times, but the consistency wasn't really there. This year, having Zach Bogosian with him, I think that's really helping him out in that regard. And we know about. Wayne Simmons with the forward group, Thornton as well. Bogosian's helping out a young player in Dermott, and I think that maybe next year Dermott is going to see uh, maybe an increased role, maybe. We don't know, but if he's still on the third pairing, that's still good for him because he's know what he's capable of. So for him to get that goal, you, you, you could see on his face that he was just absolutely ecstatic. Justin Hall, again, I'm going to say this. My expectations at the beginning of the year weren't high considering that I thought maybe he would be on the outside looking in. But, man, that shot. Wow, he needs to use that more because, wow. The way that he just absolutely fooled Carey Price with that, you never see Carey Price get fooled by something like that. And the fact that he was able to get that shot, get it off quick, all the time in the world, and pick the spot, that was absolutely perfect. But more importantly, Ilya Mikheyev. I mean, everybody, and I mean everybody in Leafs Nation wanted him to score. I was focusing on him because he's had so many chances. And I'm going to, like, do the whole so, like, so many O's because he's had his chances at five on five, shorthanded, you name it. And it's great to see him finally get rewarded after that injury because they showed a clip or the clip yesterday of his injury highlighting the fact that, yeah, he scored and or they showed the injury first and then he scored. But man, 
I did not remember. I do not remember seeing him look at his hand and then look back, skate as fast as he can to the bench, and then you see the trail of blood right after that. That was horrific, and I, I honestly do think that because it was in a really, it was a wrist injury, the laceration on his wrist. His shooting isn't where it needs to be, and I think maybe he's still working on that to try and get back to that point. But let's face it, you get sliced on your wrist, your shooting is going to be off because you had at, you're out three to six months, you're letting everything heal, you're still not 100%. And the fact that he scored, man, I was just absolutely ecstatic for him because he deserves it, and he deserves more going forward. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the opportunities that I want to kind of hone in on Micaiah for a second, the opportunities that he's had all year uh, to try and get that first goal. I mean, for him to finally get that one, um, you know, he's a guy who's had 23 shots so far this year, um, you know, three assists on top of that goal, but he's, he's been all over the place. And, and for a guy like him, I mean, he's been more visible uh, than, you know, a guy like Jimmy VC and to, for him to finally get that, that, oh, yeah. that goal. I mean, it's, it's so important. Hopefully he just builds off of that. Cause even last night and last night's game against Montreal, he looked way more confident. Um, mm-hmm. He see things just seem to be flowing a little bit better than for him. And he seems to be gripping his stick a little, a little uh, lighter than he was before. So I think that's, you know, I think it's just, it you get that one and it's, you know, from there, you just kind of get going. So hopefully he gets uh, back to where he was, you know, last season prior to the injury. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we see the, the suit man that we, we've been expecting. Um, uh, yeah, but uh, anyways, going on from that, a couple of milestones this this week. Uh, obviously, those three broke their, their goal-scoring streaks. Matthews uh, recorded his 300th point uh, on the game-winning goal against Vancouver. Uh, whereas Tavares also scored his 350th career goal, uh, two very big milestones for two very important pieces to the uh, the Leafs organization. Um, obviously, great uh, great marks for both uh, both uh, both Leafs. Um, and yeah, I, I think uh, it just uh, again it shows you kind of where these players are at in their careers, and uh, hopefully um, they can both continue to build off of that. Yeah, I mean. Matthew's 300th point. I mean, we're seeing, we're, we're, we know of his powerful release and we've seen that with the wrist shot, the slight drag towards him, and then he rifles it. But I think in both those, in the series against Vancouver, he shot both pucks that maybe completely fooled the goalie or got them completely off guard. Because in the first game, he po- he followed the same path that he scored on Thatcher Demko last year. And the puck was still on the ice. He went five-hole. That goal where he got his 300th point, he ripped it from the slot. But it was still on the ice. And it went five-hole on Holpe. So we're seeing him with a different, like, another addition to his shot where it's he's trying to get it. He still has the power but he's not getting it off because goalies are expecting him to rifle that and expecting to get off the ice. The fact that it's still on is going to fool them completely. And I think we're maybe starting to see something like that. Call it me just like dwelling too much on the way that his shot was on those two goals. But it's so weird because we've seen him rifle the top corner, no matter what. And he's on pace for 0.85 point goals per game. That is a core. 
sorry, 0.79. It was updated. 0.79 goals per game, according to Hockey Reference. Over an adjusted 82-game season, that is at 65 goals. I mean, I don't remember. I'm pretty sure the last 60-goal score was probably Steven Stamkos. I may be wrong, but man, how awesome would it be if Matthew scored 65 goals in one season? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we talked about it last week with Ovechkin and how the shortened season will affect uh, their overall numbers when their their careers are all said and done. But I want to go back a l- last week where I, I, I mentioned that, uh, you know, Matthews being physical on, on the defensive side of the puck now mm-hmm. has given him another step in his game. And I think not only is it creating more opportunity for the Maple Leafs as a whole, it's getting him more involved in the game. It's also opening up opportunities for him as well in the offensive end. Yeah. He's going in and forechecking. He's he's laying the body into these guys, and he's he's becoming more of a physical um, physical being as well as as an all around offensive guy. And I think it's cre- not only like I said, gotten him more involved in the game, but I think it's created you know, maybe the puck squirts out in front of the net. All of a sudden he's getting an opportunity or he's sending it over to, uh, you know, Marner for an opportunity. And, and we saw that last night in, in the game against um, Montreal, where mm-hmm. not only did Mitch Marner score his, his first ever goal against the Montreal Canadians now has, you know, a goal against every, every other team in the NHL, but he, it also extended Austin Matthews point streak to 12 games. And, I think that's, again, just a testament to what he's been able to do and develop his game and becoming that all-around forward. Um, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's he's up uh, or he's included in the talk when it comes to, um, you know, best defensive forward uh, in, in the NHL this season. He's just, he's added that extra aspect to his game and he's become a force at both ends of the ice. Breaking up plays, stick list stick checks coming back on the back check yeah you name it um you mentioned his ability to get in on the four check and we saw last night with that goal um he got in tied up his man just a little move to the front of the net just gets that puck off quickly and he finds mitch for that goal those are the things that you know it's allowing him to become a, a really great setup man because he's getting control players are getting open and it's not just him trying to do everything himself they're reading the play they know that okay and we saw they even showed pregame how like him and mitch were like playing with the puck back and forth finding each other and the lights were shut off and they're still on the ice they're feeding they're they're taking this opportunity with each other's linemates and they're running away with it and they're a really really dynamic duo right now yeah, no, absolutely. Um, the Leafs this season, I, I don't think they're done in terms of trying to build what they need to become that successful, successful NHL club. Um, and, and it's interesting this week, uh, Elliot Friedman was on with Tim and Sid um, discussing the Maple Leafs and, and where they're going this season and mentioned that they're he has a player in mind that he believes the Maple Leafs will go after this season, whether it be at the trade deadline or some at some point during the season. And he has a player in mind that he is he thinks the Leafs will acquire. He refrained from saying the player's name, but did mention that there is a good chance the Maple Leafs do go after this particular player. One, I think it was interesting the comments that he made that the Leafs are looking to continue to build this this club that they have. 
because I do think they added some really key pieces in getting TJ Brody and getting Wayne Simmons and getting yeah. Joe Thornton and adding <clears throat> Travis Boyd to that fourth line. Um, but two, I'm interested to see, to hear if you've got a player in mind that the Maple Leafs could go after this season. You know what's funny about this, about his comments? It's a guessing game on top of a guessing game. Like, okay, they have a forward in mind. Great. Who is it? On top of that, is it in a depth role? Or chances are it's probably going to be someone that could be vaulted into a top six role who can play alongside John Tavares. And I just want to add something to quickly to John Tavares after this when uh, I wrap up with this. But I honestly have no idea. Usually you get a hint that maybe they are targeting a specific team. We're not even getting that. We're not getting a team. We're not getting the player's name. We're not getting anything. And he's this is like a cliffhanger kind of thing where this is probably going to be a big move. He wouldn't be saying this if it wasn't really big. And if it was something like, I know online people, uh, there's uh, rumors about, you know, maybe Sam Bennett, maybe Alex Ayafalo from the LA Kings, maybe even Callie Yarncrock. Um, honestly, I would love all of those players. Maybe or may, Sam Bennett, maybe not so much now. Because um, maybe I don't think he's a top six guy, but Ayafalo and Yarncrock, maybe you can insert them into the top six will there be consistency i don't know they're actually targeting a top six forward this is going to be maybe something where it's going to be a rental deal kind of thing where maybe they have to give up a first round draft pick i don't know i don't want that to happen but maybe because maybe the uncertainty of this draft this year maybe they look to move that first round pick to try and get a top six forward somebody goes the other way I really don't know. And this is, and I had something, I had something written up based on last night because, or not last night, but the earlier in the day when I was making my notes for this, I completely changed my opinion on this because I don't know. And I think I'm, I'm actually think this is going to be something bigger than just a small, you know, moderate deal where you do get maybe a, a top six, top three, four, you're getting an actual top six forward, I think right now. And I hate to repeat myself, but I feel confident maybe, and I'm never confident in my opinions or like, not my opinions, but my predictions. So if you hear it on here and I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Future Peter. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, it's, I I think you asked me the question a while back about uh, a couple episodes back about who, who I thought the Leafs could still go after prior to the season starting. Um, And, you know, I threw out a guy like Bobby Ryan um, Mm -hmm. as a potential guy that comes in, but um, I'm starting to think like you that this is going to be a bigger move than than anyone is considering. Um, uh, whether it be you know, tr- I I don't see them trading one of their four pieces, but they're going to have to open up cap space if they bring in a in a major piece, and that's where I I'm wondering who could be on the block that maybe they move, uh, to 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 bring in to bring in a big. Uh, a big top six, well, I, I, big, not big in size, but a big name top top six forward, yeah. and and you think Travis Dermott has got to be on that list, and uh, he, I mean even then, I, I I'm not sure you open up enough room to to maybe bring in that guy that you're that you're thinking of. So 
again, you said it. It's a, it's a it's a guessing game on top of a guessing game. One, are the Leafs going to make a move? Two, who's it going to be? And I mean, we could we could take wild guesses at, at this all 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 up until it happens. Um, at the end of the day, I mean, nobody's in the head of Kyle Dubas, and nobody really knows what what he wants. But I mean. Fridge is not usually wrong, and for him to, to for him to throw that out there and, and have a name in mind, oh man, I'd love to be in his head right now. I'm just gonna spitball right now and think that you're probably gonna give up a top prospect in a first round pick, and if there's an incentive, maybe you are throwing in. If you want to create cap space, tra- um, Alex Kerfoot could probably be the first one. Because I think that maybe, I mean, even though I made a comment where I'm just like, if they move him, I probably wouldn't be disappointed. And then he scores a goal. I still think that maybe <laughs> he, he hasn't found that consistency yet as a third line center. And yeah. he's getting his opportunity right now. So I think maybe if you want to try and move Jason Spezza up into that third line role or DeMoe Thornton back down to third, Hyman Matthews Marner, insert player name Tavares Nylander, Thornton as a center, and then Spezza as a center. Great. I'm if I'm going to throw out a name and I'm just going to throw out a name. I don't know who I'm looking at probably Ricard Raquel. Anaheim interesting, Ducks. interesting. Three point seven million dollar cap hit. Just a shade over uh, Alex Kerfoot's. This is a this is a guy who could put the puck in the net a few years ago. Thirty three, thirty four really hasn't yet. But I think he could benefit from playing with John Tavares and William Nylander. I really do think that maybe he could be get back to maybe that 20, 30 goal range that we've known. I don't know for sure. Again, you just said it best. Elliot Freeman is rarely wrong. And the fact that we now just have to guess the name and the player on top is really interesting. But you know what's also funny? The Maple Leafs could have drafted Ricard Raquel in 2011, and they didn't. They went with Stuart Percy and or Tyler Biggs. So maybe they see something in Raquel right now. I don't know. Again, I'm usually wrong when it comes to this stuff. I'm kind of like Bob McKenzie. I don't like making predictions unless I have all the like information. If we had a team, then we could try and narrow it down to see who would best fit. But top six forward capable of scoring goals and was also known to have a really good cap hit. Just, just food for thought. You heard it here first folks, Ricard Raquel. If, if I'm right, I don't know what I will do because I'm <laughs> never right. <laughs> um, just to, obviously, you know, we'll close out the week, uh, with, with some, some positive news. Um, John Tavares and Sam Gagne have bought the the minor league team, the Toronto Marlboros. Um, the Marlboros have uh, consistently been uh, linked to some major names in, in terms of NHL talent. Um, obviously, Tavares and Gagne both played uh, for the Marlboros. They both have mentioned how they want to give back to hockey uh, You know, once their careers are done. Um, this is a great way for them to do that. Um, obviously, to to build a, a, a help build a, a minor league uh, system, 
um, to develop more uh, more future NHLers. I think it's a great opportunity. I got a great comment. I, I t- retweeted this uh, this tweet, and I got a great comment from a follower on on Twitter saying, "Nothing like making money off a little kid's dream." Um, look, Franco. Uh, you're looking at this the wrong way. It's not about making money off of a kid's dream. It's about building a minor league system that functions. And hockey is a place that is so expensive to be a part of now. Yeah. Um, it's so expensive to to buy equipment. A lot of parents don't put their kids in hockey specifically because of the cost. Um, it's not about making money off of a kid's dream. It's about making it an, an affordable game for, for kids to play. And if two former NHLers can come in and help make a team, you know, sustainable and, and, and part of, of the future of hockey without, you know, parents paying an arm and a leg to get their kids involved. Um, you know, I think that's what Tavares and Gagne are looking to do. And, um, to that, to that follower that decided to make it about making money, um, I don't think it's from a from a greedy standpoint that these guys are buying the team. I think it's from a point a standpoint where they want to try and help build the game and build the future and and help kids get involved. And I think for you to for you to go out there and say that uh, you know, good riddance. Yeah. Um, I remember like one one player that like I knew playing in the GTHL AAA. Going up against players like Owen Tippett and uh, Matthew Strom, it's not easy to get money and try and like pay for your career. It absolutely isn't. The GTHL is very expensive, and if they're doing any way that they can to help kids get achieve the dream that they want, I am all for it. And you're looking at, like, Tavares and Gagne, guys who are respected leaders on and off the ice. There's no way they're doing this as a cash grab. That's just, that's just, I, I, I couldn't even fathom that they would do something like that. The fact that right now that they're doing everything they can to help kids back into, to get them involved in the sport in a difficult situation, in a pandemic, mind you, to help kids get and reach their goals, I am all for it. Simple as that. And what better way than with their franchise or with their team that got them that start? Like it's, it's very commendable of what they're doing. And honestly, I didn't expect John Tavares to be an NH or a hockey team owner while he's still playing hockey. I mean, 2021, right? No one expected that, but, but no, this is, this is really great. I mean, like it's it's not easy the gthl is really expensive and if there's a way that they can help even donate some equipment money what have you they're going to do it because they are their hearts are in the right place yeah no absolutely and uh like i said closing out the episode with that uh big news obviously uh to oakville natives Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> um, getting involved in, in, in the GTHL in developing the game. Um, two things I want to mention before we close it, this episode, not hockey related. Um, you know, tweets of the week, let's say. But the daughter of the Lombardi Trophy silversmith, Lorraine Gross, wants an apology from Tom Brady for throwing the Lombardi Trophy off the boat uh, into the arms of... Uh, um, 
uh, Brait, uh, his his tight end there on on uh, in their Super, Super Bowl, Bowl celebrations. Yep. Um, the other comes from a uh, NBA podcaster named A One Hoops on Twitter. Uh, he he tweeted out that there's a table that only two people can sit at, uh, Brady and MJ. And Bill Russell responded to him saying, you're getting closer. Obviously, Bill Russell has more rings than both of them. Um, and uh, just a little shot at uh, the GOAT talk. Um, but yeah, yeah tweet, tweets of the week in my book. I uh, just wanted to mention <laughs> those because I loved both of them. I love that uh, she wants an apology for him celebrating his his um, his Super Bowl win. And I loved that Bill Russell had something to say about uh, uh, the GOAT talk. Yeah, I mean... The GOAT talk got very heated this week. I mean, you could say Michael Jordan, um, Tom Brady, you know, Roger Federer, Serena Williams. There are a number of play or a number of athletes out there that could be. I think the GOAT talk is for Tom Brady is central in regards to football. Yes. I don't know if he's the greatest athlete of all time. Maybe. But there's always a discussion in, reg- in regards to GOAT. I mean, Serena Williams is one of the best player tennis players of all time. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo, one of the greatest soccer players of all time, even though I really don't like soccer because of all the diving and flopping and everything like that. You still have athletes that are GOATs in their respective sports. All time is a major hot topic, and I don't want to get involved with that right now because let's just stick to GOATs of each sport before we could get into talk of greatest of all time. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. And, uh, I just loved it because I thought it was uh, a great response to, to, uh, you know, obviously a guy who's got his opinions about who should be sitting at that table, but, um, you know, for Bill Russell to come out and, and, and have his say, I, I just loved it. And, uh, maybe we'll look at doing that a tweet of the week at the end of the episode, but, as I mentioned, another great episode. We're getting on to two hours here, and uh, you know, wow. obviously, time flies. We, time flies. We we had a lot to talk about this week, but uh, you know, it's Valentine's Day. Uh, I've got a, a lovely wife and and son upstairs that I would love to uh, to go <laughs> and uh, spend the day with. Um, Enjoy, so Enjoy. I will be doing that. I will. Yes, seventeen years with my wife today. So. Congrats. Um, Love it, uh, and uh, look forward to getting back at it next week with you, uh, Peter, obviously. And, um, yeah, folks, if you're out there, listen, share, like, subscribe, rate, do all those things for us, and let's get the content going uh, here on Sticks in the Six. Absolutely. Have a great week, and enjoy it.